making someone stand up on that stage and read the nominees are serious genre work, serious genre work, serious genre work. And this Will Ferrell movie is the sort of thing a lot of us would find very funny. Hello, and welcome to the EuroWhat, episode number 124 for the week of June 21st, 2021. I'm Ben Smith, and I'm joined today by Mike McComb. Hey, Mike. Hello. We are a pair of Americans trying to make sense of the Eurovision Song Contest, and this week we'll be talking about the Hugo Award nomination for Eurovision Song Contest, The Story of Fire Saga, with our special guest, Sean McGuire. How's it going, Mike? It's going well. Summer is kicking off nicely. Summer is here. Yes, it was really nice to take a break these last couple of weeks and then hop right back into things with Eurovision again. It's back. It's back. (laughs) Season three. The first edition was this past Saturday as this episode drops, and it'll be happening every month uh, through November. It's great to have it back. Yeah. They really went deep into the vault and went to 1969. Which I feel like that was the one that every time it got asked last year, what year should we do next? The first tweet would usually be 1969. A big reason reason for that is because there was that four-way tie that people really want resolved. Yes. <laughs> if this sounds a little bit familiar, we did talk about the 1969 tie in episode 64, but in prepping for that episode, I know I only watched the four songs that were part of that tie. Did you watch the whole contest when we were doing the prep for that? I am fairly certain that I also only watched the four songs because we kind of use that as a springboard for what are the tiebreak mechanisms at Eurovision. It was really nice seeing them in the context of the full show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and getting to watch the full show. It was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. It was a really good set of songs. Yeah, I go to the older Eurovisions expecting them to feel very much of their time, and this mm-hmm. one was full of a lot of really good songs that still hold up. Yeah, and that feel like they are reference points for songs today that kind of do a retro feel. There were a lot of inspirations to pull from, like fashion, uh, music style. There was a lot going on with this one. I'm glad that you mentioned the fashion. For whatever reason, it was very captured by Ireland's outfit. Yes, that was probably the most 60s just like ensemble. Just like spot on. I did enjoy all of the little Salvador Dali touches, like that organ sculpture thing on stage. So the, the intro clip as well. I kind of want to get a print of that poster advertising the contest. It is very obviously Dolly, and I think it would be a fun print to hang in my living room. What made this contest so notable was that there was a four-way tie between Spain, the United Kingdom, Netherlands, and France. And because it's Eurovision again, the audience got to vote. The tie has been broken, and the winner, by an overwhelming amount, was Spain. <laughs> Which I think was the right call. I I agree. I have had the chorus of Spain's entry and the corresponding mental entry of all of the beaded fringe on Salome's outfit in my mind all day today. Yes, it's such a 
joyous performance and i'm really happy that spain won that that was what i gave my 12 points to going through the rest of the scoreboard there were no ties this time around i was secretly hoping that there would be one but (laughs) germany finished in 10th just seven points ahead of monaco it was tough to pick 10 out of the 16 there were a lot of contenders in there a lot of very good songs and parade of all of the countries that the the meme seems to be with eurovision again come back we Kicked off with Yugoslavia, slid it directly into Luxembourg, and then, of course, had Monaco in the mix. Yes, it was a great trip down memory lane, especially that tourism film. What I, what, I don't whatever know what the you would call it. Is, yeah. I ended up watching that two or three times just because I was baffled by mm-hmm. what the idea possibly was behind that. Yeah, I was sitting there going, <laughs> okay, so it's like all of the elements. We've got earth and wind and air but also tourism, I guess. I feel like the interstitials are always the very interesting part of Eurovision. Again, if it's a modern one, you get very interesting live performers or dance numbers, but sometimes you get the wombles. Yeah, and on a scale of one to womble, this was Uncle Bulgaria. So, uh... (laughs) Les wombles. It was a very fun trip back to 1969. I'm glad that Eurovision again is back. Thinking back to other films that have aged surprisingly well it's been a year well it's been a year but also it's been a year uh since the eurovision movie dropped on netflix a movie that has received multiple award nominations and the weirdest journey much like the spain interstitial if you had told me that there were going to be grammy not well grammy nominations may not have been so far-fetched but an oscar nomination a serious oscar campaign for this movie i i would not have believed it but it's had a rather momentous year in terms of the music the soundtrack did get onto the billboard album chart it reached 170 when it was released and it did get nominated for a grammy internationally it did really well too it was number one on the uk soundtrack albums chart it reached number five on the u.s soundtrack albums chart and number two on the icelandic albums chart as far as husavik goes husavik debuted at number 16 on billboard's digital download chart And that was the big award nomination getter because it got nominated for a Critics' Choice Award, a Hollywood Music and Media Award, and the Academy Award for Best Original Song. It had a very strong Oscar campaign. Like There were a lot of people who were very disappointed that it did not win. People were really behind this song, which is really heartwarming. Uh, It did win Best Original Song from the Society of Composers and Lyricists, the Hollywood Critics Association, and the New Mexico Film Critics. Uh, they got Outstanding Achievement in Sound Editing from the Motion Picture Sound Editors. Uh, it got Campy Flick of the Year from the Society of LGBTQ Entertainment Critics. Other awards that the film was nominated for, <laughs> there was the Kids' Choice Awards. Will Ferrell was nominated for that. And the People's Choice Award, the movie as a whole, was nominated. I just want to go through the nominees for both these categories. Not to besmirch the Kids and People's choice awards but these lists are kind of crazy why are we in the year 2021 nominating will ferrell for for kids choice awards are kids still into will ferrell movies looking at this list the winner was robert downey jr for doolittle a movie that i'm (laughs) sure nobody saw that should not be as funny to me as it was but being reminded of the presence of that movie 
Mm -hmm. Another reminder, Jim Carrey in Sonic the Hedgehog. I'm weirdly fine with that one. Just okay. That movie, yeah. that movie happened and seemed to be decent. Yes, we did make fun of Sonic the Hedgehog's teeth for five minutes. There's a bus stop not too far away from me that still has an ad for Sonic the Hedgehog because nothing's been updated since 2020. <laughs> but it's just like, oh man, there is some amber to be trapped in. So <laughs> I feel very blessed that the local theater that is now finally reopening sometime this summer has just had posters for Parasite and Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Oh, wow. What, yeah, that is a very specific moment in my neck of the woods of when wow. things happened. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. The other nominees for Kids' Choice, uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda for Hamilton, Chris Pine for Wonder Woman 1984, and Adam Sandler for Who Be Halloween. <laughs> what are you supposed to do with this list? Oh, no. <laughs> and I'm just trying to imagine kids watching the mm -hmm. Eurovision movie and not really understanding what's going on and asking their parents about it. And I'm not sure how many parents were actually able to answer what was going on. <laughs> Part of me wants to do a deep dive of how do we nominate the Kids' Choice Awards these days, but also, no. All of you have great PR people, excellent work, PR people. Yes. Moving on to the People's Choice Awards, Eurovision Song Contest, The Story of Fire Saga was nominated for a comedy movie of 2020. Also nominated, Bill and Ted Face the Music, The King of Staten Island, Like a Boss, the Lovebirds, To All the Boys, P.S. I Still Love You, The Wrong Missy, and the winner, The Kissing Booth 2. How many of those movies do you recognize? <laughs> I was keeping up with a surprising amount of that list. Really? Given how few movies from 2020 I watched in 2020. I recognize most of those and feel like for probably not all of them, but at least like six out of the ten or however many nominations there were. I could at least give you a thumbnail sketch of a synopsis. Okay. All right. Was The Kissing Booth a deserving winner, in your opinion? Um, I do not know. <laughs> I did not watch any movies from last year. Last year. But congratulations, Netflix. I think you own 90% of this list. So. <laughs> congratulations to Netflix. You did an excellent job. The movie's done pretty well. Award season you would think is over since the movie's been out for a year, but it has one more award in its sights. This is one that we picked up on, weirdly enough, as far as Eurovision news. I am at the perfect intersection of Venn Diagram where I pay attention to the Hugo Awards and was very surprised in April when this year's award slate got announced to see the Eurovision movie on it. I would not have thought of Fire Saga as a science fiction fantasy movie. Like, it Seems like it's a straight-up comedy. When we tweeted the news, one thing that popped up was author Seanan McGuire, who I recognize as someone who is a, a Hugo, Nebula, and Locus Award winner, who writes a number of different series. She's known for the October Day series, the Encrypted series. I was a big fan of her book Middle Game from 2019, which has a sequel coming out next year that I'm very excited to get my hands on. Why is a science fiction author I know in my podcast mentions? And it turns out uh, she was partially responsible for the campaign to get Fire Saga nominated for the Hugo Awards. We reached out to be like, hello, can we chat about that? And she was gracious enough to say yes. In early May, before rehearsals had started, we chatted with her about Fire Saga, what makes something science fiction and fantasy, and what it looks like to get something nominated at the Hugos. So here's our conversation with her. Thank you for joining us, Shannon. It's a delight to have you here. I try to be as delightful as I can. It was such a surprise to see that Eurovision would be part of the sci-fi fantasy 
conversation. That wasn't my interpretation when I initially saw Fire Saga, but after reading some articles and seeing that it was nominated, it was just like, oh, I subscribe to this point of view. This is nice. (laughs) There are a bunch of really serious Eurovision fans in the science fiction community. Nava Wolf, who's a Hugo Award-nominated editor, is one of the biggest Eurovision fans I know. And then, of course, Catherine Valenti, who wrote Space Opera, which was nominated last year and is basically Eurovision in space. The two of them are massive Eurovision nerds. I bow before them. How were you introduced to Eurovision? I'm aware of how this sounds. I'm a massive Generation 1 My Little Pony fan. I collect Generation 1 My Little Ponies the way that some sports fans collect memorabilia. It's a little gross in my house. Everything is just tiny plastic horses. And there were different ponies released in the U.S. and the U.K. So I started going hardcore ham for what is different between the U.S. and the U.K. when I was about 13 and the internet became an available tool because it seemed like every time I found something they had in the United Kingdom that we didn't have in America, there was a My Little Pony based on it. And I needed to know which ponies I was looking for. And uh, this led to discovering that there was this huge song contest. Every year, all of Europe gets to come to the party. And it was the most amazing thing ever. And of course, you can't get Eurovision in America 30 years ago. You can maybe get some bootleg tapes, but I was a teenager. I had no money. I couldn't get them. So I just went to England instead and that worked better. Was there a Eurovision-based My Little Pony? Sadly, there was not. It seems to be one of the only things that they never decided we should do that. I am half picturing a Love Shine a Light 1997 commemorative edition My Little Pony. Yes. (laughs) We should go back and issue a My Little Pony for every Eurovision between now and the birth of the line in 83. I think there is definitely a section of the fandom that would be all over that kind of memorabilia. (laughs) It's like the majority of the things in my life can be traced one way or another to My Little Pony. One of my favorite parts about conversations like these is finding out how everybody else found their road to Eurovision. And that is delightful. So let's talk about Eurovision Song Contest, the story of Fire Saga. Like Mike said, I initially did not see it as a sci-fi movie. But again, the more I think about it, the more it makes a lot of sense. So what kind of elements does the movie have that makes it fit in with the sort of science fiction and fantasy that gets nominated at the Hugos? So first off, Eurovision Song Contest, the story of Fire Saga is blatantly alternate history where Scottish independence actually passed. Because there is no other way Scotland won Eurovision the year prior to the events of the movie. With voting the way it is now, and with Scotland not being able to send up an independent act, England is never winning again. Apart from that, the entire film falls apart, literally does not function if the elves are not real. The elves are a primary driver of the action. They are the motivation behind everything that happens. You've got literal ghosts. All of these are strong genre elements. If the genre aspects of the movie away, there are no elves. Eurovision is somewhere other than the United Kingdom. There are no ghosts. The film just collapses. It's the elves that get Fire Saga into the hands of the selection committee in the first place. That makes a lot of sense. When the movie came out, I watched it a couple of times in preparation for how we were talking about it on the podcast. But those particular story elements, I didn't really think about how 
they connected. There's a lot of fluff to this movie and trying to figure out what parts are essential and what parts are actually telling the story. The inclusion of the elves seems like the most developed through line in the movie. I would agree. And as someone who is an Iceland nerd of all things, it should have been very apparent to me because a big part of their heritage is the elves. I don't think the inclusion of the elves was a conscious attempt to make a fantasy movie. I think it was just an attempt to be respectful of the culture of Iceland in a way American audiences would find amusing without it becoming insulting. But the end result is that we do have this film where if you remove the genre elements, the film collapses. And that's really the definition of a fantasy movie rather than just a movie with fantastic elements. As we were discussing, this isn't the first time that something Eurovision adjacent has been nominated because Space Opera was nominated in 2019. Yep. And that is just such a cracker of a book. There's a lot of love for Eurovision in the science fiction community. What is the process for something getting nominated for a Hugo Award? Hugos are a community-owned award, which means that they are not something like the Pegasus, which is the Silk Community Award, where anyone can nominate or vote. You do have to be a member of the World Science Fiction Society. Membership is connected to the annual World Science Fiction Convention, which moves around the world every year based on who has volunteered to host it. So it's a little bit like Eurovision in that sense, in that every year it moves. And so every year it's being put on and put together by a different group of people, some of whom may never have been involved in this process before and are trying to learn while the world is burning down around them. Last year, it did not happen physically because, gosh, I wonder, was originally meant to happen in Wellington, New Zealand. That is who had won the vote to be the host of Worldcon. This year, it's going to happen in Washington, D.C. And then next year, it's, I believe, in Chicago. So each year, the people who have a membership to that convention get to nominate works and get to vote for works once the ballot is set. Now, the way the Hugos work is a little bit interesting to me in that the Hugo administrators, the people who officially run the contest, have no authority. They don't get to decide is something actually genre or not. If enough of the voters, enough of the people who have paid money to have memberships say, we think that Kano's entry in the Norway Grand Prix for Eurovision 2021, which came in second after Ticks and is not going to actual Eurovision, but that entry is enough genre that Monument should qualify for Best Dramatic Presentation Short Form in 2022. If enough voters nominate it, then it goes on the ballot, even if the administrators would say, no, that is completely wrong. What is wrong with you? They're not allowed to have an opinion. I don't think we could have gotten Eurovision onto the ballot in literally any other year. But because 2020 led to the cancellation of so many genre tentpole movies and big movie events, we were able to get a certain amount of traction talking about how really Eurovision Song Contest is absolutely a genre movie. Here are the genre elements. Here is why it does not work if you take them out. And then a certain element, honestly, in this case of the Hugo voters sometimes just like to make fun of the fact that the admins don't have a lot of actual authority. So making someone stand up on that stage and read the nominees are serious genre work, serious genre work, serious genre work. And this Will Ferrell movie is the sort of thing a lot of us would find very funny. So in this case, is this nomination sincere? Is it a troll? Oh, is it a combination of the two? 
on my part, at least as the person that kind of organized most of the yelling, 100%. I don't think that genre has to mean serious. I think that if you make genre mean only serious, you are doing a disservice to both the creators and the audience. And I feel like this movie manages to be a loving homage without actually tripping over into parody. There are elements of it that seem really over the top if you're not familiar with actual Eurovision, but then you look at it and you realize, no, this is a sincere love letter to a cultural phenomenon. Eurovision is such a huge deal for such a big percentage of the world, and maybe a lot of American voters think, okay, this is ironic, it's a funny twist, but even just recognizing that even if we don't get to personally participate is a big deal. On my part, 100% sincere and a tiny bit selfish in that I attend Worldcon every time it's physically held and I'm going to put together a band to rush the stage. They have not made sure that they have a live band to play Ya Ya Ding Dong during the ceremony. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. I completely agree that the movie itself is a very loving tribute to Eurovision and nails the music. We just saw Husevik get an Oscar nomination that it It should should have have won. won. And Husevik has been picked up by the Eurovision community to the point that there was an Adriatic pre-party this past weekend where one of the acts in lieu of performing their own song performed a cover of Husevik. That's amazing. It's been accepted into the 2020 canon of these are the songs from that year. Yep. And honestly, I'm going to be a little disappointed if song-alongs aren't a real thing after this. After Pitch Perfect, the acapella community started doing a lot more riff-offs. I want to see big, ridiculous Eurovision song medleys. Especially now that the, the world has gone through a pandemic, I would love to see, especially in like the fan stuff before the actual contest, when we are allowed to gather again, something along those lines, because that could just be a lot of fun. What does the rest of the process look like for Eurovision potentially getting a Hugo Award, and how can Eurovision fans potentially help out? From here, the way that the process works, voting has not yet opened. They are in the process of a assembling what's called a voter's packet, which is mostly going to be literature because the Hugos are primarily a literary award. Once that is assembled and distributed, will eventually, at some point between now and December, open Hugo voting. And Hugo voting is going to be open to all of those people who have World Science Fiction Society memberships. You can obtain a membership for Worldcon. The website is discon3.org. And if you go to that site and click the membership link, the membership information page will tell you how to purchase a membership. If you're not planning to go to the Worldcon, you can obtain a supporting membership for $50 US, which is a lot of money if you're not a reader. And I do recognize that. Once you have a membership, you will receive a copy of the Hugo Voters Packet, which will have all of the nominated literature from the year in it and the login permissions to vote in the Hugo Awards themselves. That is where you could vote for Eurovision to be our winning dramatic presentation. The one request I would have for the Eurovision community, and I say this as someone who is nominated in three different literary categories this year, is if you are signing up solely to vote for Eurovision, that's fine. The rules allow it. But either read some of the literature, make an effort to read some of the literature that is being sent to you, Or don't vote in those categories. Don't just fill out number one on each ballot because that could skew voting results in a way that's not really fair to the people that have worked very hard to be on that ballot. Fully agreed. And of course, I'd love it if the entire Eurovision community read the packet and went, Seanan's amazing and voted for me. 
But uh, don't do that unless you've read it and you think that. And I'm sure that there are a lot of members in the community who are going to be excited to have access to all, all of this literature and having an organization that is going to be supporting in some way another passion of theirs. This has been really eye-opening the way that these communities are going to be able to come together, even if it is going to be in some virtual fashion for just a little bit longer. Is there anything else that we should know about the Hugos or about this con or this process? The main thing to know is that while it is totally cool, like unquestionably cool for anyone to vote and participate. It is an open award. We have issues in community with what we call slating, where somebody goes, okay, I want this one thing to win. And I also want these other eight things to win. So I'm going to publish on all of the Eurovision boards, the list of the eight things we should be voting for when we pick up our Hugo memberships. That causes big problems for exactly the reason that I said, please don't vote if you haven't read. No one's going to have an objection if Eurovision brings the Eurovision fans to the Worldcon community, even if it's only for just this one year. And I think that between this and Space Opera last year, we've really demonstrated that there is affection for Eurovision in the community, sufficient to get it onto the ballot for one of our biggest awards, and sufficient to mean that you might find a home here too. Mm -hmm. But if it starts seeming like you're trying to, to crash or log roll our awards, we get a little pissy. Mm -hmm. I, I have followed over the years the many things that have happened to the voting slate. It's like this year, Norway allowed Americans to vote in the Malawi Grand Prix. And we were not enough to sway the results. <laughs> we, we did not help Monument win. I was heartbroken. Oh, my God. I don't understand how Kat and Nava do all of the Grand Prix. They do every single country and they can't vote in all of them, but they watch and participate as much as they can as Americans. And I'm just like, but it broke my heart seeing Norway decide not to host next year. <laughs> Monument could have brought it home for Norway. I genuinely believe that. Just being in the auditorium when Alexandria hits that grace note. There is a lot of love for Kano. Oh, yeah. I want them to come on an American tour. And I think winning Eurovision, they would have come on a North American tour. They still may pop up. I, I, I have I seen so. some Eurovision acts stateside. It's going to be in the smaller venues, but yeah, it, it's still great to see them. Actually, I did have one follow-up question. Is, is Monument in the discussion for nominations next year, or is that too early to... It's uh, way is, too early. Okay. <laughs> um, but also, unfortunately... I think if any a Eurovision song in the last couple of years was going to get considered as a best short form, it would probably have been Spirit in the Sky because the video mm. that came for that was basically, what if a furry D&D &D game? <laughs> and they got done so dirty that year by the tech problems, all of that. I feel just really bad about it. 2019 was a challenge. We'll put it that it, way. It <laughs> in, in multiple <laughs> respects. Generally, we don't start hearing the murmurs about maybe this is something that'll make next year's ballot until at least June, July, when we're halfway through the year, because the Hugos go on a calendar year eligibility system. Oh, so right. A book published December 31st this year will be eligible for next year's awards. A book published January 1st, 2022 will not be eligible until the 2023 awards. And that is good, but it means we're waiting to see how the field shakes out. And to see if there are any good upsets from this year's results. I do genuinely have some strong hopes for Eurovision because it was such an intensely strange year. Yes. 
And will the delay in the presentation of the Hugo, since it's it's not happening in December, do you think that's going to have any sort of impact one way or the other? So people have actually asked me at this point if I am somehow associated with the movie because I've been so vehement about, no, no, it's a genre movie. I want to see this on the Hugo ballot. Here are the 97 reasons you should consider. But the nice thing about Eurovision is that it replays and it stands up incredibly well. And I don't think that can be said about all of the Best Dramatic Presentation long-form nominees. I don't know anybody that has said, I watched Tenet five times, and by the end of the fifth, I liked it more. The Old Guard comes close, but its fandom is already waning and moving on to other things, whereas the Eurovision Song Contest fandom is like, nope, this is the only thing you've ever given us, we're holding on to it, go away. In 2019, I went to Disney World and was wandering through the Norway Pavilion, just telling random Norwegian teenagers who were there on the college program that Kano was robbed. And all of them gave me free things. Yeah. <laughs> it was amazing how many Disney teens were like, I will now slip you a pin. Would you like a cookie? And I'm not doing it for that. I really thought Kano was robbed. But Eurovision fans are passionate. Mm-hmm. I think there's a good chance that the delay in addition to giving a little time for some of the other films to maybe fade from freshness, is going to give those of us who are sincerely on the side of Fire Saga, who are sincerely going, no, really, this is not a joke. This is not us trying to play a gag on the Hugo community. I have the utmost respect for the Hugos. As a creator, as a participant, as a nominee, there is absolutely... No part of this that I don't have incredible respect for. I wouldn't be throwing in behind a joke bid, but it's giving time for us to convince people a little bit. To point out, these are the genre elements. Have you watched the movie yet? Okay, great. Imagine that movie without the elves. How does that work? And so we are winning people over. So I think our chances will be better because of the delay. Oh, that is so fantastic. And, and now I want to rewatch the movie just to be like, oh, how would this be different if, if these elements were not part of it. Air Saga is still playing sadly in the garage. They never get to go to Eurovision. I'm not sure that Sigrid ever gets her happy ending. It's very sad if you take out the elves. And I appreciate that as an Icelandic person, she was rewarded for her faith in her own culture by having the elves say, you know what, this one really means it. She may seem a little ridiculous, but she's sincere Let's give it to her. So I'm hoping the elves can carry us to a win. Come on, elves. Yeah, come on, elves. <laughs> Just be careful. They they play hard. It's not like they can murder the other nominees. No. <laughs> so, Shannon, where can people find you online? Well, if you can spell my name, which is an archaic Scottish form of Janet, thank you very much, family tradition. You can find me. I am pretty much the only Shannon McGuire active on the internet. There are several more in my family, but they're all sheep farmers in Ireland, so we don't worry about them too much. I am largely on Twitter as Shannon McGuire or at shannonmcguire.com. I write a lot of books. This year, my Hugo nominees are Come Tumbling Down, the October Day series, and Ghost. Spider Volume 2, which I wrote for Marvel Comics. Excellent. And we will have links to all of that in our show notes. And again, thank you for joining us and for explaining this process and how Fire Saga ended up on the ballot. Thank you so much for having me. You guys are really lovely to chat with. Thank you. That's going to do it for this episode of The Euro What. Thanks for listening. The Euro What podcast is hosted by Ben Smith. That's me. And Mike McComb. That's me. You can subscribe to The Euro What on the podcast service of your choice. 
If you'd like to support the show, we're also on Patreon at patreon.com slash Eurowhat. Show notes are in the description of this episode and on our website at Eurowhat.com. If you'd like to contact us, we're at Eurowhat on Twitter, or you can email Eurowhatpodcast at gmail.com. Next time on the Eurowhat, we're going to examine the current state of the Eurovision fandom with our special guest, Meredith Clark. 